Hey, my name is Akash Thakar, and this is Sound Business. This is the podcast where we dive into the mindsets and methods of some of the top musicians, sound designers, or audio creators in the world. We're going to interview everyone from plugin makers, performing musicians, video game composers, and everything in between, and learn how they run a successful business and how they're making a killer living in the worlds of music and sound. My hope with this podcast is that you can be exposed to the many myriad different ways there are to make a killer living in the worlds of music and sound, and help you realize that there's no one right way to get to the top. And with that, let's get into the episode. My guest today is John Sly20XXSmith, also known as Star. Star is a video game composer who has worked on games like The Stars Between Us and Calico, and has even worked as the composer for the Steven Universe anti-racism PSAs. In this episode, Star and I talk about how they first got inspired to work in video game audio, the importance of finding the right teachers, environment, and education for yourself as a musician, how it's okay to start with humble beginnings with no real financial advantages, the importance of working day jobs during the initial career climb, dealing with non-deserving complex when things start to go well, and so much more. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Star. I want to know about that kind of moment where you picked up viola or piano or just music in general. I want to know how that even happened. Oh, God. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. You're starting with the fun stories. Okay. So... I grew up in Augusta, Georgia, and in elementary school, one day this lady came by with these forms and she was like, hey, do you want to play instruments? And so I got the form and I checked off which instrument I wanted to play. And then my father had actually mailed us an instrument. My parents were separated. He lived in Baltimore. So he mailed us an instrument. And on the first day of class, you know, this mystical, magical music woman was going through the instruments and like plucking them and tuning them, which I didn't know what tuning was at the time, obviously, but. She gets to mine, plucks the strings, and she goes, oh, yours is a viola. And I was like, oh, how do you know that, right, in my brain? I didn't yeah. say this as a child. And then I was like, okay, I guess I play viola. So I had checked off violin, but I became a violist by fate. Whoa. <laughs> and then, uh, geez, yeah. So I started playing the viola, and there was a local public school that was also a school of fine arts. It ran from sixth grade through 12th grade in Augusta, Georgia called Davidson Fine Arts. And I like really wanted to go to the school and I already played viola. So I like, you know, did my audition and I had good grades and all of that. And I got in. And while I was there, I started learning to play piano because I'd like always kind of loved the piano. And my mom bought me a keyboard one year for my birthday. So I started taking the piano classes and I was in the orchestra taking those classes, had a little string quartet that I played with. And we like would do little gigs around town, which was super fun. But so, so this is what happened. I spent a lot of my time playing video games and using the computer and like browsing the internet and reading Sonic the Hedgehog Sprite comics online. And, you know, one day I decided, oh, I'm reading all of these comics. I want to make my own Sonic the Hedgehog Sprite comics. So I started doing that. And that kind of got me used to seeing the computer as a creative tool. And I also had very slow internet. So when I wanted to listen to music, I found these like magical files that I could download and listen to on my slow connection called MIDI files. I didn't know what they were or why I could download them, but I downloaded them and I listened to all of these files from vgmusic.com. And then one day I was like, I want to learn to make MIDIs. I want to make music for video games. And I made my career decision. <laughs> 
at the age of 13. <laughs> and how did that inform everything else you did from then on? Was like all of your practice thinking of video game music? Were you trying to learn stuff by ear? What did that look like? Oh, yeah. No, I like... I actually did create like little courses for myself. I was like, I need to learn how to write a loop because I didn't know how to do that. I mean, I learned how to write a loop. I don't remember how, but I just kept writing things until I kind of learned how to loop stuff. I made these like kind of genreless electronic MIDI files in a sheet music program, which was pretty interesting because you'd open it up and you'd see all of these like crazy notes, but then you basically hear like a pop song. <laughs> my, my classmates found that pretty hilarious. <laughs> And uh, our orchestra ended up taking a field trip to New York for, I think, some like playing thing. I really don't remember. But I remember there was this computer music magazine that was like so expensive at 20 whole dollars. But after like having an existential crisis about it, I was like, okay, it's $20, but it's for my career. So I'll buy this magazine. And it came with this DVD with a bunch of music software on it and my first DAW, which was a doll called uh, Computer Musies which only let you have four tracks, but I used that. And hilariously, I didn't even have a DVD drive actually on my computer. So I <laughs> asked my friend, my best friend, still good friends. We started a company together. I was like, hey, buddy, can you rip this DVD into CDs? And he was like, no. So obviously he did it and gave <laughs> me like these nine CDs full of like music software. <laughs> oh my god and i know both of us grew up without tons and tons of money mm -hmm. so like what did that look like when you're practicing getting instruments getting into the tech side of things like was it just a slow clunky computer or what was it oh man i haven't thought about this in years okay first there was a slow clunky computer which was no good it was not <laughs> you know i this is hilarious. I've been freezing tracks since the 1990s because I was like trying to play my music and it just didn't work. Mm -hmm. And eventually I convinced, I don't know how it happened, but I convinced my dad to give me a laptop that he had for work. So the laptop was significantly better, but I kind of wore it to its natural limits. And I remember at one point I had to stop using Windows XP and I started using Ubuntu Linux because it wouldn't God. overheat the computer. And then Oh, man, this is crazy. Okay, that laptop, I, I destroyed it. I used it until it could be used no more. I remember the screen like broke, so I had to hold it up. And I remember, <laughs> I, I kid you not, it would overheat when I wanted to use Windows, but I had to use Windows to write music. So I have distinct memories of sitting with it like propped up with the bottom of the laptop over the air conditioning vent, like on the floor in my room. I don't remember how often I did that, <laughs> but I did it often enough that I remember it. Oh, my God. Yeah, man. It was, it was <laughs> the struggle was real. <laughs> but that's that's really good, though, because you're making a full time living in music, game audio, that stuff now. And you started from, you know, pretty simple text sides, which I think there's <laughs> a lot of people who, who don't realize that that's OK to have that sort of setup. Oh, yeah. But at some point you realized, oh, music school, that's the thing for me. Right. And I know Berkeley wasn't the first music school you went to. So what what did that look like? How did that come about? Whew. So I, you know, played music in school, which really means I made classical music, right? So that's what I was trained in. That's what I learned. Like I wrote a couple of classical piano pieces. I wrote a couple of very bad string quartets. And then I did my kind of like, again, I want to say genreless electronic music, right? Because I wasn't listening to a ton of like, 
EDM stuff or like any recognizable genres. But I was like, I only had these electronic synths, so I was just making weird stuff. But I knew I wanted to do music because I knew I wanted to write music for games. And I was like, okay, I will go to a music school. That should be fine because this is how I think education works. It is not, but that's what I did. And I knew about Berkeley, but what happened was they had a $100 application fee. As an 18-year-old, that was an ungodly amount of money. And it actually scared me off from applying. Like I didn't even apply. I didn't even do an application. Even though I could have gotten the fee waived, I was just so intimidated by that. I was like, oh my God, how much is the school going to cost? Which was a reasonable concern, I found out later. But (laughs) I ended up going to the University of Georgia, studying in the classical composition program there, which actually was like super integral to kind of everything that I do as a musician, honestly. And I studied viola performance there because I... I couldn't afford lessons as a high schooler. So I had always been stronger at the piano because I just liked playing it solo more by myself. I really liked playing ensemble work as a violist, didn't really like practicing by myself. And, you know, piano class is practice for half an hour and then go home. Viola class is like play with the orchestra and maybe sit or like have a Christmas party because, never mind, I'm going to be nice, have a Christmas party because that's what we did sometimes (laughs) in orchestra class. So I was at UGA in their program, and it didn't feel like it was a perfect fit for me. So two things happened. One, I incidentally got accepted to this international music program called the Red Bull Music Academy. So I did that in 2011, and that event actually originated as an event for the world's best DJs, which did not describe me and still does not. But I got sent to Madrid, Spain, and kind of was put into this situation where I was given the opportunity to collaborate with all of these artists, but... I was like the only person who produced in Logic, and I didn't even really know what Ableton was, and I didn't know anything about that. And, oh man, so there was this moment where Young Guru, fabled engineer, works with Jay-Z, all of that stuff, he was giving like a seminar, I think on mic placement or something like that, and I was just so lost, and I feel like he knew that I was lost, and he was like looking at me, and I just wasn't there, and I was so anxious, like I had so much social anxiety, I could not bring myself to like meet him at the level of him trying to help me and I still (laughs) oh I still have feelings about that to this day but anyway so I went to RBMA came back to UGA ended up kind of inspired like was gonna start bringing electronic music to my composition professor but he was kind of like this is not what I do this I can't really help you with this and then eventually later I had this one pivotal moment where I was like I'm gonna apply to Berkeley applied to Berkeley called Berkeley. I was like, when's my audition? They were like, next week in Boston. I was like, cool, great. Thanks for telling me. So (laughs) went, did my audition and ended up going. So basically RBMA helped me see like, even though I had been making music for years, I didn't know anything about technology. So that was part of what kind of pushed me along and finally got me out there. So was the pivotal moment that made you apply for Berkeley during Red Bull Music Academy or was it a different time? It was when I got back. It was actually probably several months later. Essentially what happened was I woke up one morning and I watched this programming video by a guy named Brett Victor, who I still don't know very much about. He was giving this talk and he was kind of talking about, um, he was talking about, I guess, software development and how having really strong, I guess, values in terms of what you're trying to build can lead to making something very special. So his example was a person who I think helped pioneer like word processing software. And I think back in the day, if you wanted to use a mouse, 
and you were word processing, you had to go from like mouse mode to selecting the cursor mode to like typing mode or whatever. So this guy was like, no modes. That's dumb. We should have like an auto switch cursor. And there was that. And then he also showed a demo of Braid where like the code was running alongside Braid running and you like he was updating in real time, which I think is amazing. And if that's out there, it will turn me into a game developer, I promise you. So I watched that. And then I had this epiphany as I was laying very sad in my bed, skipping all of my classes. I was like, I feel like I am not going to do great things if I stay here. I'm going to apply to Berkeley. And that was the same morning that I did my application. Nice. Oh, that's so cool. Now, you you came to Berkeley. You went through it. That's how we met. We met via Berkeley. But I'm curious, during it, what did you focus on? And I remember a professor asking a student, okay, don't worry about how you got in, but worry about how you're going to get out. So I'm curious what you focused on and how you kind of graduated with grace, as opposed to a lot of people during Berkeley or music school, just crash and burn. Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, grace is a strong word, I think. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I kind of want to actually start with that. Like, I hate college. I love learning. I do not like college. And I especially don't like music school. Because like, I'm the kind of person who thrives with like a narrow number of things to do that I can do like exceptionally well, which is funny because I say that and I know you know that I do too much some of the time. (laughs) But even after having graduated, the like number of things that I get into now feels like less than like taking, you know, six or seven classes or whatever. And so I mean, I did what I could to try to make it manageable. Like I never took a full course load. I think full is like 16 up to 22. Never did that. Always did 12. I did summer semesters so that I didn't have to take as many classes throughout the year. And hypothetically, I thought, oh, I'll graduate faster. That was not true. I graduated in four years after three years at UGA. But, you know, music is cumulative. So I always add that. Anyway, yeah, in terms of what I focused on, Like I said, I didn't like college and it was very challenging for me in a lot of ways, just trying to balance everything. But when I felt like my head was like sufficiently above water, I would do whatever I could to like engage with what I actually wanted to do, right? Like one of my first years, there's a class called, I don't remember what it's called, but it might be a professional development seminar or something like that. And I had that class in my first semester and I wasn't like really crazy about it or the professor but there was an interview project that we had to do. So I think the interview project was like to interview one person. And I was like, oh, well, I want to write music for games. But I kind of knew that I had all kinds of musical interests. So I reached out to like, I don't remember how many people. I want to say six, but I only remember a few of them. I reached out to a musician named Halsey, whose music I like really loved, H-A-L-C. He was like big in the video game music remixing scene, I think. So he was kind of someone that I looked up to. I reached out to Disaster Piece and asked him a few questions over email. I reached out to Andrew Huang. I think I did do an interview with him. Yeah, I think I was able to talk to him over probably Skype. And then, you know, Berkeley has like video game music classes. So of course I took those. And kind of the next sort of things that I think are pretty important are I would go to my professor's office hours and kind of ask him like, hey, I want to write music for games. That's what you do. Please tell me what to do. So he basically taught me about networking and like made sure that my skills were like up to par. I remember one of the first assignments he gave was like, find a piece of music and recreate it. And that was actually pretty informative too, because I was like, well, I know what I'm capable of producing. So let me make sure I select a piece of music that I know I'll be able to produce, right? And that's kind of gone into the way that I make music. But yeah, went to his office hours. And then of course, started networking in the Boston scene because I knew I had social anxiety. And I was like, I better practice this now if I'm going to be good at it at all. 
And then kind of continuing the interview thing, there was kind of a sequel to that professional development class that happened a few years later. And for that, I reached out to like, honestly, I want to say like 15 or 20 people or something like that, just asking them like, how do I get into the games industry? And I like wrote it all down and put it into this like packet. I know I reached out to someone at Hexany. I know I reached out to you. I reached out to someone at a place called Clean Cuts. And I remember Tom Dow, I think was his name, actually. He said to me, getting into the industry is 50% luck and 50% skill. So I said, all right, how can I be more lucky? And he said, networking. And that like really stuck with me. And then, I mean, there's more than that. Like I learned about GDC and the conference associate program. And really one of the most pivotal things actually that happened while I was there is that this person came to speak and I thought what he had to say was pretty good. But at the end of it, he referenced this book that I had read called, I will teach you to be rich. And I was like, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. My guy's name was Akash the Carb. <laughs> <laughs> and so I remember I talked to you and I was like, yeah, it looks like if I'm going to be in this industry, I'm going to have to move somewhere, probably work part time, which I'd gotten used to doing because Berkeley is very expensive. And then freelance and network the other part of the time. And I was like, oh, I'll probably have to move to, you know, L.A. or New York or San Francisco. And you were like, how about Seattle? And I was like, hmm, that city sounds cheaper. Let's go there. <laughs> <laughs> what a different time that was. My how things have changed. <laughs> but when it comes to Seattle, like everybody goes to L.A., especially after music school. Everybody goes to L.A. Like you and I are kind of oddballs when it comes to moving out outside of Boston. Everyone leaves Boston, but nobody <laughs> goes to Seattle. And Seattle's a great place for video game sound, music, all that stuff. It's super, super good. But for you, what kind of tipped it over for you? Because it couldn't have just been me be like, you should come here. I'm sure there's other factors that made you realize. You would think that, but no, <laughs> no, really no. Because I was like, what else am I going to do? So I ended up taking a semester off from Berkeley because I was broke. And so I was working during the semester and I was actually about to move to New York instead of going back to school. Like a friend of mine had this friend of theirs who had this apartment and they were like, you can rent this for $700 a month, no move-in fees. So I was like, oh, guess I'm going to move to New York. But then that fell through. And then I ended up talking to my sister who had like helped me go to Berkeley in the first place, helped me get a loan. I was like, yeah, I'm not in school. And she was like, that's stupid. Here's some money. Go to school. I was like, oh, oh, that sounds good. Let's do that. But yeah, I think I legitimately was just like, I'm broke. Seattle sounds nice. And then I reached out to my sister again and I said, hey, do we know anybody in Seattle? And she was like, I don't know about we, but I know someone. And I was like, great. Okay. So, and <laughs> she <laughs> introduced me to her friend who like helped me land and gave me a place to stay for a little bit before I found an apartment. So maybe part of me was like, well, New York didn't work out. And I don't think I wanted to go to LA and I didn't want to stay in Boston. And you know, I probably didn't want to go to San Francisco either because I got to experience San Francisco <laughs> during GDC. <Boy. laughs> Whereas Seattle, I don't know. I didn't know anything about it, but I was like, whatever. Sounds good. And I came in the summers, which by the way, was a trap. It was beautiful yep. and sunny and it is not right now. 
Mm-mm. No, it is a trap, but you came at the right time so you could at least have some happiness before the gray comes in. So smart move. But when you did come here, I know this is true of absolutely nobody. Like nobody moves outside of music school and goes like, ah, the success has come instantly. <laughs> so can you talk about like that initial landing in Seattle, that those first odd jobs, those first freelance gigs, how that all happened? Oh, sure. Okay. So funnily enough. All right. So I got here essentially borrowed some money from a friend because oh my lord rent i'm from georgia you know you can get a four bedroom for twelve hundred dollars that's what i did in college four bedroom apartment had a basement had a back like patio thing up at the top nice little kitchen oh my god essentially two living rooms because of that basement in unit washer dryer man twelve hundred dollars maybe (laughs) sixteen hundred the point is it was cheap anyway yeah oh god I'm absorbing it right after saying it. Anyway, so I (laughs) borrowed some money from a friend, kind of hit the ground running pretty fast, like looking for freelance gigs and also looking for a part-time job. So two things happened kind of around the same time. I actually was given the opportunity to do some work for Rec Room, which was like super exciting. Before I got the opportunity to do some work for Rec Room, I had a previous client that wanted to hire me for close to minimum wage. And I was like, no, I'm out of college now. I will not do this. I did have someone ask me to join their startup. And I was like, this is what I charge. And they were like, I was thinking not money. And I was like, no. I had another person that I did a demo for them because I couldn't get a meeting with them to talk about what to do for the demo. So I just did a demo and they were like, this is wrong. And I was like, cool can you pay me for a demo? And they were like, no. And I was like, oh, so that didn't work. You know, those are very well projects that I could have been working on, but I did not use my time to do that. So I was able to work on Rec Room when the opportunity came along. And I also, odd jobs. So when I was at Berkeley, I did social media for the health and wellness organization on campus. I also worked as the personal assistant and administrative assistant to a local startup that kind of helped people with specifically the language portion of the MCAT. So I did that. I did get hired to do music and sound for a game, actually, which was very cool, like a neuroscience project thing out of MIT. But then as that wound down, I also did audio transcription of like humans speaking to each other, like not music. So I did that. And then moving to Seattle, my first part-time job was doing, like I was a campus operations assistant with Northeastern University in Seattle. So I did that and did Rec Room. And Rec Room was like a short gig. And I was like, man, this is great. I'm going to get so many gigs now, (laughs) which is not exactly how that works. It's funny, though, like Rec Room is the number one VR game in the world, has a billion dollar valuation now, like one point two five billion dollars that company's worth off of one game, which is unheard of. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And still, like even with that, the gigs don't come in like and that's normal. That's everybody. It's like we all think ah, we're set now. We did the thing. But no one's going to start calling like, oh, we got it. We just got to get them. Like, people need to know we exist. So how did you keep that going? Like, how did you make sure people knew you were there? Yeah, I just did a ton of networking. I remember I did so much networking, actually, that I got burnt out. So 2016, that's the year I graduated and moved out here. Before I had responsibilities, when I was just like hustling, I will never forget the week that I went to seven events in a week. I went to like two on Tuesday, two on Thursday, and then three on other days. And 
even when I was applying to this part-time job, I knew that most of my shifts were going to be like 4 p.m. to 11 p.m., which suited me well because I could go to the gym in the morning. But I remember I like looked up all of the Seattle area game development meetup groups and like listed out what days they were on and used that to determine which days, like which nights I wanted to work at this part-time job. So I made sure that I could like always go to these networking events. And then when my schedule eventually shifted at the part-time job, I actually ended up leaving and going to another position that was in the mornings. But yeah, I got burnt out. And then I like kind of didn't go to anything for like a year. So 2017 was like my slow year. (laughs) But in 2018, I kind of got back on top of it. And then, you know, I said that 2017 was my slow year. And for like, honestly, up until maybe four or five months ago, I kind of gave myself flack for that. But the truth is like, just being in the city and talking to however few people you talk to, like it's all cumulative, right? Like it's all adding into your network and it's all building up your career. And like, just by virtue of the fact that I came back after I kind of left, like people were like, Hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Like, yeah. So it was that kind of stuff. And then Twitter is like a whole nother story. (laughs) (laughs) As we get into that though, because I know you've gotten gigs from the internet. You have a bunch of big name gigs like Calico, Steven Universe, PSAs, Rec Room. I love your soundtrack to the stars between us. Thank you. I'm curious how those came about because those seem to be like an initial push upwards for Star. Like it was this really cool build for you to watch. Yeah. So let's see. Steven Universe is actually pretty interesting. So I'll talk about that one because that Mm -hmm. is like very much an internet thing. So let's talk about Twitter. So I was on Twitter since Twitter was on, which I feel very good about the fact that I just said that. But in all seriousness, I was at the University of Georgia from what, 2009 to 2012, I guess. Yeah. And I'm definitely dating myself with that. I've never felt that way in my life, but here we are. So Twitter was invented. So I got onto Twitter But the thing is, like, I have, I've also been, like, into indie games since, like, indie games became a thing. So I have, like, a collection of, like, just downloaded EXE files from all over the internet. Like, I think one of them might even be prototypical of Celeste, actually. There's this game called Flail. I don't know. It's similar enough mechanic, and I have to look into that. But anyway, so I had all these games, and... I got onto Twitter and I was like, whoa, I can follow the people who made these games, right? So like one of the first Twitter accounts I followed was Vlambeer. And I was like, oh my God, Vlambeer. (gasps) And I was so excited. So I like followed all these people, barely tweeted, barely used Twitter, but like that felt like my connection to the game industry when I was at the University of Georgia, right? And like, Make no mistake about it. I wasn't like reaching out to people and like trying to work on things. I was like a little too sad and a little too anxious to do any of that. But I was like lurking, I guess you would say, right? So I kind of got a feel for how Twitter works. And I followed like some of these people and just kind of continued to use it throughout my life. And like, oh, this feels awful. I guess I got used to Twitter as a part of my life. (laughs) (laughs) So in the spirit of that, Like several years ago, whenever it was, one of my friends introduced me to Steven Universe and I started watching it. And of course, I followed Ivy and Sarashu, who I was already like vaguely familiar with because I was a fan of like video game adjacent net labels. So I knew about Ubiquitune and I like had listened to the black box and I was like, oh, they did Steven Universe. That's so exciting. And, you know, every now and then I would like tweet vaguely in Ivy's direction and I will never forget 
I saw them tweet about using a ruler to like line up notes of MIDI, which I saw that and I was like, what? And then like a couple months later, I needed to do the same thing for some reason. So I tweeted them and I was like, hey, look what I did. And they were like, wow. And I was like, yeah. (laughs) So, you know, eventually I got connected to Calico, which the short story there is that there was a conference that came to Seattle. I think it was a business conference. I don't know what it was. I got a free ticket because I was in the Slack group for a co-working space, which I got connected to because someone that I had talked to in Boston years prior, I reconnected with them and they told me about the co-working space. And I was like, I live in Seattle. And so I joined the space and then I was in the Slack. And then in the Slack, they were like, here's a pass to a conference. And I was like, okay. And then I went to the conference and then I met the creative director of Calico, right? (laughs) So this will be relevant. So I eventually started working on that project and then we announced it. And then Ivy was like, oh my God, I'm so happy to see that you're working on this game. And I was like, what? You know that I exist? I had no idea. And then later we ended up in conversation about one thing that we might've done together, but we didn't end up doing that project, didn't work out. And then I had worked with another colleague of mine to start a music community and Discord server uh, called Beats to Play Games 2. If you go to beatstoplaygames2.com, you can look that right up. And I invited them into the server. And then in the spirit of all of those interviews that I mentioned doing, I was like, hey, I'd love to hear about your career. I'd love to talk to you and kind of built the relationship there. And then 2020 happened. And one day I was like chilling, living my life. And Ivy was like, hey you want to do these PSAs? It's okay if you're busy. You don't have to. And I was like, um, no, I'm not busy. Let's do it. <laughs> and it's it's funny, like you mentioned it really well. There are so many dominoes that you had to knock over to make everything go. And you don't know where it's going to lead. Like you showed up to a business conference because of some co-working space Slack you're a part of in Boston. And it just so happened that it leads to a gig. And I think a big mistake people make is they think, oh, this won't work. It. I'll show up to this and it won't happen. But you never know when that is going to happen. Yep. So I'm curious, what does that look like now for you now that you've done this for a while? You've been out of school for a while. You're full time. What does that look like, that whole networking thing? I think I have this constant awareness of that domino effect that you mentioned, right? Like even now, I'm thinking of a creator and I don't even know if he remembers this, but I'm thinking of a creator He made a game and I saw it on his website. And so I followed him on Twitter in like 2014 or 15 or something like that. Talk to them. I don't know, maybe once every three months. And now we might do a game together, right? (laughs) So, and even speaking of that, like I mentioned starting a company with my friend. So the friend who ripped the DVDs for me, he and I have been friends since the seventh grade And he went into programming. I went into music. We made little game projects. We made a project that we showed in Spain for Red Bull Music Academy. We did another project at MIT that we got connected to through Berkeley. And then we were able to start a game company around a project that we were able to land because I was doing music for a different company. And the person funding that game wanted to fund other games and other companies. And we are another company that can make games and so like there have been a number of gigs that have come as a result of this person that i met when i was i don't know 12 i don't know Hmm. right so it still looks like that (laughs) and in addition i'm also like 
you know, I'm being much more intentional, right? Like, honestly, with the way that I'm putting myself out there and the environments that I'm putting myself into, because I don't want to burn out again, you know? So I'm like, making sure that if I go to something, it's something that I like really want to be at. It's with people that I really want to spend my time with. And before, it's not that I spent time around like a metric ton of people that I didn't want to, but it was like, it felt like, perhaps erroneously, it felt like those kinds of emotional and spiritual needs were like subservient to my need to get gigs <laughs> and meet people at mm-hmm. all costs. But in a way it worked out, you know, you have gigs coming in, you have a very, very strong network. People know you, people love you. And I'm curious because I think when people come from more humble beginnings, they have a stronger sense of non-deserving complex. And you and I have talked about this a whole bunch and I want to hear your thoughts on it. But like, yeah, the more humble you're starting, the more you feel non-deserving complex as you get more and more things into your life, more gigs, money, time, whatever it may be. So do you feel that? Do you, how do you deal with it? Oh, how do I deal with it? Ooh. <laughs> so I would like to remind our lovely listeners and viewers that Akash said that I was full-time and I have been full-time since mid-2020 and I still was like, what? What are you talking about? So, you know, we're working on it. And actually, I would love to talk about the time thing for a second because Mm -hmm. I haven't meditated, marinated, thought about this very much, but like, it feels like you have more time as you move further into your career, not less time, which is not what I thought would happen and which I was thoroughly unprepared for. So how do I deal with it? Well, you know, I said the word meditated and I am like working on my gratitude and I'm focusing on my gratitude and I'm like not questioning it, at least not actively. You know what I mean? Like I still give kind of stupid answers if people point it out to me, but in the very least, I'm not sitting around going like, oh, I don't deserve this because that, that would just drain me and I wouldn't even be able to function. Right. So that's part of what I try to do. I think that's all I got. That's great, though. Like, it's hard to feel down on yourself and grateful at the same time. Right. Yeah. So yeah, when you focus on that gratitude, it makes a big difference. Actually, yeah. Speaking of the humble beginnings, like, right, like, I'm sitting next to a keyboard and I I bought like, essentially the same model of the keyboard that I had because I was using my keyboard and it was like some of the keys weren't working, right? Which like, thankfully i've always kind of had that opinion about my like music tech i'm like no this is for work it cannot be broken i cannot have this right but like it's also strange to me to be like that's broken i'm gonna fix it that's new and that's something that i'm not wholly like used to yet right you get used to it and when when you have the access to all those nice things it feels weird because we're not we're just not used to it like yeah i bought a new computer recently and like right if you have money you can buy things it's actually (laughs) wild i know i sound obnoxious and i try not to but you're fine it's just yeah so it's definitely like a work in progress and i'm assuming it will continue to be one you know yeah and speaking of the the kind of journey you've taken there's one question that i ask at the end for everybody which is when you first started in music whatever it may be your starting point could be playing a viola by mistake because a teacher said that's a viola (laughs) or it could be when you're in high school doing video game focused stuff with midi any starting point you want to pick what was your definition of success when you started and how has that changed over time and what is it now oh that's funny you know honestly oh shit (laughs) what is it gonna curse no i think 
Oh, no, I'm having an existential crisis. Why'd you do this to me? This is what I do with everybody. (laughs) I would have said, make music for a game that, like, people know about and like, which happened. Ooh, you're sneaky. (laughs) But yeah, like, it's funny. So this feels relevant, so I'm going to say it. So I've been thinking a lot about this quote, uh, which I might butcher, but it's roughly like, success is moving from failure to failure without a loss of enthusiasm. And I think back to writing music, and I really did fairly intentionally detach from whether or not anyone liked my music because it was bad. And I knew it was bad. Aaron, the person that I mentioned earlier, the guy who did the DVDs, he knew it was bad. I made him listen to it. I did not care. If there was a do whatever you want project in high school, I would like write music for it, bad music, play it for the class, didn't care, didn't think anyone <laughs> liked it, still don't think anyone liked it. Did I like it? I don't even care. I just kept writing things, right? So I kind of did that as far as being successful is concerned too. I was like, well, I want to write music for video games. And I, I was writing music for video games. And I kind of like had this sense of like, maybe this game hasn't released yet and has changed its like development, whatever. Or like maybe this other game was like just a game jam game. Or like maybe this other game is like polished, but like hasn't found an audience or whatever. But I just was like, no, I want to make music for video games and I'm going to continue to do that. And that's kind of the end of the sentence, right? So I kind of knew in the back of my heart, I want to say that if I could do something that like, really just anyone liked, you know, even just one person, that would be really special to me. And I have to come to terms with the fact that I've done that now after this call. Several times (laughs) you've done it. Oh, no, (laughs) don't say that. (laughs) And now as a as a last question, a final, final question, where can people find you? How can people look you up? Social media, Bane camps, all that stuff. Share share it all. I got all kinds of stuff. So my name is John Smith, but I write music under the name Slide20XX and Slide stands for Starlight is Delightful Energy. So you can call me Star. And if you put Slide20XX into Twitter, you'll find me there. If you put that into Instagram, you will find me there as well. You will find it on SoundCloud. I don't know why you would go there, but it's there. And then my website, Slide20XX.com. And yeah, that's it. That's good. Like anywhere else that I am, you will find as a result of going to those places. Perfect. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was a delight. Thank you. This was great. That's the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening as always. And considering I work in the world of video game, music, and sound, and so many people are always asking me how they break into that field, I have a newsletter set up for you. So if you want to learn how to make music and sound effects for video games and actually be paid to do it, just go to bit.ly forward slash sound pod. Sound B-I-Z pod. And that newsletter will set you up with two free courses and a bunch of free ebooks and even sound effects. They'll get you set up and teach you how to work in the world of video game music and sound. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. And if you're looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to, this podcast is actually a part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. So if you want to check those out, hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.